Well, um, over the last 24 hours, I've heard from every Red Raider that I know. Uh, one Red Raider, a friend of mine, I hadn't, I'd, I'd heard from in 20 years, sent me a text yesterday. Um, and uh, one, one Red Raider friend of mine, or should I say former friend of mine, uh, said, uh, hey, Pastor Mark, I'm going to be out of town. Uh, who will represent the Red Raiders tomorrow? And I said, I don't think you have anything to worry about. They'll show up tomorrow in full, full regalia. And so uh, there are a lot of Red Raiders at that first service this morning. Um, and, uh, you know, last night we we're watching the Aggie and Arkansas game. And, you know, my wife is like, why are you even watching this? You don't care about this. I said, but this field goal will dictate how my day goes tomorrow, all right? And um, so if you're an Aggie today, you better believe in God because only God can make that football hit that, that goalpost like it did, okay? So we fully expect you to give twice this morning, all right? Because uh, you've, you've got some serious, serious uh, stuff to do with God. But we are, um, and it's good that football season's back, so... Um, uh, but uh, we're in the middle of our series uh, in John. Not in the middle of it. We're getting to the end of it. We got about six uh, sermons left, and um, we're 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 looking at the life of Jesus and the life that He calls us to as as His disciples. And um, in the New Testament, uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. And in the New Testament, whenever um, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is talked about, it's almost exclusively done inside the church. That the Holy Spirit does the majority of his work inside the church, inside the hearts and minds of believers, of followers of Jesus. But in our passage today, it's one of those few passages, if not the only passage, that talks about the work of the Holy Spirit outside the church. And uh, if you'll remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit, and we talked about that uh, maybe your translation calls him the great comforter or the great encourager or the great counselor, uh, we, we landed on advocate and that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. And the Greek word for advocate is paraclete. And what that means is it's somebody who, who comes beside us, who comes alongside us of us and speaks truth on, on our behalf. It's almost like a defense attorney. And today, as Jesus is telling his disciples and as he's telling us, he's telling us the role of the Holy Spirit in the world. And so let me just kind of set the table before I give you the three things we're going to talk about this morning. Let me just read the words of Jesus um, where we're going to be in John chapter 16, verse 5. Jesus is talking. He says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. So he's talking about going back to his father. And, and none of you have asked me, where am I going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now, we, we, that, that's a you know, we can build a whole sermon around this. This is the even the notes. But, but as we grow in our faith in, in Jesus, we, we need to come to the point that we really believe in the core of who we are, that he does have our good in mind in everything that he does. So, so it's just very true, I tell you, it is for the good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove to the world, and we're going to talk about that, um, to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, so Jesus says to, to his disciples and he says to us that 
Um, the role of the Holy Spirit, the job of the Holy Spirit is to prove, or, or that word there means convict. And, and this word, whenever they read it in the Greek, that it had a word picture. The, the Greek language is very specific. It's very descriptive. And uh, anytime somebody read or heard this word convict or prove, they would immediately think of a word, a, a picture in their mind, and they would think of a, a light that would, that, would be, that would shine on an object that was so intense and so bright that it would remove every uh, previous darkness around that object. That it's the role of the Holy Spirit to shine light that's so intense and, and so bright that it removes all previous darkness. And so the Holy Spirit sheds light on, on three concepts that Jesus gives us uh, in particular. And they are, they are sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And, and behind these three terms are three questions that that every single one of us needs to ask ourselves and answer. Let me just give you these three questions. And and this morning, I know it's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant this morning. So I really want to encourage you to take some notes and then to take some time these next couple of weeks to really think through these three questions. When it comes to sin, the question is, what is wrong with us? That every single person needs to ask the question, what is wrong with us? When it comes to righteousness, um, you know, what do we do to get right? How, or how do we get right? That's, that's something that every human heart at the core of who we are asks. And then the third question is about judgment and how will it all end? Because every single person on the planet wants to know how will it all end uh, for, for me? And so it's these three questions that we're going to work through today and hopefully We'll be able to just begin to peel back the layers. And I want to encourage you to take some time over the next few weeks to get some time on your own and further peel back the layers. So John chapter 16 this morning. John chapter 16, uh, as, we, as we talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. And the first work of the Holy Spirit is to shed light. Remember, it's this bright, penetrating light that, that, that fuses all darkness, that that. that, that uh, gets, gets rid of all previous darkness, shed light on what's wrong with us and that sin. Let's, so let's, let's back up just a little bit um, to verse, uh, verse 8. When Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove to the world, convict the world, shine his light on the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin. So first topic, about sin, because people do not believe in me. So some people want to say, well, pastors, are any unforgivable sin? Well, the only unforgivable sin is not putting our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not putting our faith, it's not believing that Jesus was the Son of God and he came and he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that we deserve. Now, now here's the problem with sin. All of us, to some degree, we, um, we believe that we're innocent. All of us, at some degree, we believe that we're innocent. I mean, some of us, we are obsessed with being right all the time. Some of us, we, we won't even admit that we're wrong. Anybody know somebody who has to be right all the time? Anybody? Okay, anybody sitting beside somebody that, right? It's okay, raise your hand. They, they, they know that they're right, so it doesn't matter. They're going to be relieved that you know that they're right all the time. But there are people that we know, maybe that we live with, that we work with, that we go to school with. They've got to be right 
all the time. And they will blame anybody and everybody to avoid having to admit that they are at fault. Now, now this is something that I have to deal with just about every week, okay? And, and it has nothing to do with me being a pastor, but everything with me being a parent, okay? Parents, you know what it's like when you have kids. I mean, kids will not admit when they're wrong. I mean, our kids, they will, they'll blame anybody and everybody before they accept, you know, before they admit their own guilt. I mean, they'll blame their, they'll blame their brothers, they'll blame their sisters, they'll blame their friends, they'll blame their teacher. Well, it's the teacher's fault. You know, I don't know if you've ever gotten that one. You know, I gave my parents, that was the teacher's fault. I should have never said that because my mom was a teacher and she was friends with all my teachers. So that was the wrong thing for me to say. Um, but, uh, but, but our kids, I mean, they say things like, well, you know, he hit me what? Oh, okay, you got the same problem then. Okay, that makes me feel better. Makes me feel better. Or, or, or you know, she's on my, on my nerves, on my side. Or, you know, they did it first. Or, you know, they will, they will go to full great lengths not to admit their own guilt and preserve their own innocence. Now, it's one thing if a, if a seven-year-old does it. But it's tragic when a 51-year-old man does it. It's tragic when we as adults won't admit that we are at fault and we are guilty. But inside all of our hearts is this feeling that we want to insist upon our own innocence. And the first enchantment that the Holy Spirit must cut through is this fundamental belief in our own innocence. Because here it is, we are not innocent. We're not. Every single one of us have sinned. Every single one of us has fallen short of the perfect standard of God. And because of that sin that we've willingly done, because of that sin, we are separated from our Heavenly Father, not only now, but for all eternity. Now, the fundamental problem with sin is not found in how we behave. Okay? The fundamental, the root the fundamental problem, the root problem with sin is what we believe. It's, it's what we, the fundamental problem with sin is what we believe, that our sin is rooted in what we believe will make us happy, what we believe will make us loved or successful. And that's what dictates how we behave. See, a lot of times we want to deal with the behavior. But, if, but, but religion wants to deal with the behavior. Religion wants to modify behavior. And, you know, let's, let's kind of clean up our act from the outside in. But Christianity, Jesus, the Holy Spirit wants to start on the inside and move out. But it, the, the core problem with us is that we believe is what we believe. And when we choose sin, what we are really saying is that I believe this is better than Jesus. That, that's... Sin. It's whatever we think will make us happy, give us a sense of greater satisfaction, will make us feel important, will make us feel loved. And whatever that is, we will begin sooner or later to give our time, our energy, our money, our affection, and our allegiance to. So here's the question. Let's just slow down a minute. And here's the question we need to ask. And it takes some reflection. Is what, what are our primary and fundamental beliefs? that ultimately dictate our behaviors. And what, 
In other words, do I really believe for me to be loved, I have to do this? Or do I, do I really believe that Jesus doesn't love me the way he says he loves me? You know, do, do, I, do I lie, steal, and, chill because, lie, 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 steal and cheat because, because I feel like God doesn't see me and it's not going to take care of me? I mean, what is that fundamental belief that drives our behavior? And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict to prove, to shine his light that's so bright that it removes all previous darkness on our hearts and show us the sin, not only our behavior, but also what we believe in our lives. So, that, so that's what the Holy Spirit does with sin. The second work of the Holy Spirit is to shed light on, on how do we get right, the sense of we want to be righteous. So, so let's go back to verse 8. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove to the world to be, uh, to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Now, now righteousness is defined as, as our need to assure ourselves that we're going to be all right. It's our need to assure ourselves that we're going to be all right, that the human heart is just driven. It's just, it's just wired this way, that the human heart needs to convince ourselves that we're better than others, right? And so what do we do when we start to feel like others are better than us? We start feeling insecure about ourselves. We start to, we start to um, compare ourselves to others, and what we'll do is we won't find the best and the brightest. We'll, we'll find people that we feel like, you know, will help us. Uh, you know, we'll look and compare ourselves to others to make us feel better about our appearance. We'll look at others to make us feel better about our income. We'll look at others to make us feel better about our accomplishments or our titles or our religious activities. And the Bible calls that righteousness. But here's what we need to ask ourselves. What is it that we look to in order to help us feel better about ourselves when we're having a bad day? What is it that we look to to make us feel better when we feel insecure? When, when circumstances aren't going according to plan, what is it that we look to to make us feel better about ourselves? And see, this, that whatever that is, that's our righteousness. And then this is why Jesus told story after story after story. We can, we can, we can read them in the, in the Gospels to shed light on our, on our need to achieve our righteousness of our own. See, but, but, but here, here's what the Bible says. Righteousness, this need to be right, it cannot be achieved by our own effort. Righteousness cannot be achieved for ourselves, but righteousness has already been achieved for us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit's job to break through whatever it is that we're looking at, whatever it is we're focusing on to make us feel better about ourselves. It's his job to show us that there is a righteousness that's available to us that's far beyond anything we can imagine, anything that we can, we can think of, anything that we can achieve for ourselves. Because Jesus achieved righteousness for us. We can't earn it. We, 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 can't, we can't make ourselves right so we can prove just how stinking worthy we are. And, and that's what we want, right? I mean, we, we want to prove to others that, 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 that you know, we're so stinking worthy. We want to prove to God. We want to prove to ourselves. 
But the Holy Spirit shines his bright and penetrating light on that false view and says there is a righteousness available to you and it has nothing to do with your performance. It has nothing to do with your merit. It has nothing to do with your potential. But it can. it is a free gift to you. And all we have to do is simply place our faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, not only do we go be from being dead spiritually to being made alive spiritually, not only do we become the adopted sons and daughters of our heavenly Father, but we get a righteousness that we don't that we did not earn. That when we put our faith in Jesus that the righteousness that Jesus earned is transferred to us. That we get the reward for his righteousness and he gets the curse for our unrighteousness. That's why he went to the cross. And that's the righteousness that the Holy Spirit reveals to us. And that's the only righteousness that actually brings rest. Because we no longer have to compare ourselves to anyone else. We just have to receive and know that everything's been done for us. So that's the second work of the Holy Spirit. And the last work, the third work of the Holy Spirit is to shed light on judgment, on how it will all end. Let's go back to verse 8. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. It's only based on faith. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, somehow... Man has reversed the roles of judgment when it comes to God. Somehow, some way, modern man now thinks he sits on the bench bringing judgment on God for how he has handled it and overseen our lives. And, it, and, and it's us as the judge and putting God on trial, as long as God has a decent defense, as long as he has a reasonable excuse for why things have worked out the way they worked out and why he did this and why he did that and why he didn't show, you know, do this that we wanted and why he didn't do that that we wanted. As long as he has a reasonable defense, we may or may not acquit him. But acquittal is possible. But the Gospel of John tells us that the night that Jesus was put on trial, it was a sham of a trial, by the way. But the night that he was put on trial and and, and this sham court was set up and the people in their zeal to protect their own self-righteousness and maintain their own human-appointed positions and institutions, they exercised judgment on God and found the innocent one guilty as charged. And the moment that Jesus was condemned was the moment that we exposed the fraud that we call justice. And we prove that once and for all, that as men and women, we lack the ability to rightfully and justly and fairly bear judgment. And the moment we indicted Jesus was the moment that we indicted ourselves. 
Now watch. Listen, don't miss this part. See, the great surprise of the Gospels is that the moment, is that in this moment, when Jesus was indicted and found guilty and sentenced to die on the cross, is the moment that should have been our greatest condemnation. It should have sealed our guilty fate once and for all. But as we read the Gospels, what we read is, but God. But God, in this moment, instead of taking our indictment of him and using it against us for all eternity, he used it to destroy our greatest enemy, and he destroyed death itself once and for all. That when Jesus died on the cross and submitted himself to defeat, we don't need to miss that. He didn't take his life. He willingly gave up his life. That he would in that moment conquer for us the ruler of this world and as a result break the curse that is upon us because of our sin. See, the work of the Spirit is to convict us of our judgment and show us to our great surprise that we can have forgiveness. Now, as the band comes and gets ready to lead us in a response, I just want us to pause for a moment and take a breath because we, we've been drinking from this fire hydrant of just a few scriptures. I mean, we've talked about the concept of sin. We've talked about the concept of righteousness. We've talked about the concept of a judgment. And, and I just want us to pause for a moment. Just kind of be still, ready our hearts to respond to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. And peel back the layers. And, all, and we're not going to find the, 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 the core, the answers in our core just in a few moments, but, but we need consistent moments. Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit to show us that Jesus has defeated the penalty of sin and death and taken on our judgment. And he offers us a righteousness not of our own doing. And Jesus, he, he has this to say. He says in verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you. In other words, disciples, I know you're drinking from a fire. Hydrant. I know you're overwhelmed with emotion right now. And I have so much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all of the truth. And He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears and He will tell you what is yet to come. And He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. In other words, I'm going to keep talking to you. I'm going to keep bringing comfort. I'm going to keep speaking words into your life. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what, we, what He will make known to you. It's the Holy Spirit's job to guide us to the truth. He will guide us to the foot of the cross where we can find forgiveness that we can find forgiveness of sin, we can find a righteousness of our own, and we can find a judgment that, that, that was cast upon our Savior instead of us. And so let me just ask you, let's just slow down for a moment. 
What does the Holy Spirit reveal to you about sin? I'm, I'm not just talking about sinful behavior, although that is part of it. There are things that we need to stop doing. We know good and well it's sinful. But maybe to peel back the layers a little bit in our heart and to say, okay, Holy Spirit, show me what I, what false narrative, what false truth I've bought in, what lie I've bought into to cause me, I believe this and it causes me to behave this way. Holy Spirit, show me how much Jesus loves me so I don't have to turn to others for, for love and affection and approval. Show me that you will, that you see me and you know the details of my life so I don't have to be a control freak and freak out when things don't go according to plan. What truth has the Holy Spirit revealed to you? Let's peel back the layers a little bit to righteousness. What has the Holy Spirit revealed to you about where it is that you go to, where it is that we run to, to make us feel better about ourselves. To make us feel like we are worthy. To make us feel like, yeah, it wasn't that big a deal for Jesus to die for me. I know I'm guilty, but not as guilty as they are. I don't do what he does. At least I'm here at church. What is it that we look at? What is it that we cling to that makes us feel righteous? Let the light of the Holy Spirit shine deeply and brightly into that light. And then let me ask you, how do you, how do you respond to circumstances? Could you ask the Holy Spirit, could we just say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me how I pass judgment on God? And would you bring me to the point that I could just say, God, I don't like this circumstance. I don't like this medical report. I don't like this rejection. I don't like this loneliness. I don't like this unemployment. I don't like my circumstances. But God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You see all of eternity past and you see all eternity future and you're painting on a canvas as big as the universe and your word says that you work all things out for the good of those who love you according to your plan and purpose and glory. So Father, that's what I want. Would you cause me to, to just trust you, trust you in this moment. Peel back the layers. And it doesn't happen because we listen to a 20 minute sermon, but it happens when we take these questions and we get by ourselves and we're quiet and we say, Holy Spirit, on a consistent basis, we say, Holy Spirit, shine your light into my heart. Show me sin and righteousness and judgment, the truth behind all of these. Show me how, how much you love, love me. Show me the cross.